Good morning, Monroe. It's good to be with you. I hope you're doing well. This is Pastors of the Roundtable. This is the discipleship podcast of Monroe Missionary Baptist Church, brought to you by Together in Christ, the teaching ministry of MMBC in Monroe or Monroe, Michigan. Uh, encouraging thoughtful discussion about the Christian faith and connecting you to the people and the ministries of MMBC. Uh, sitting around the table with me today, we got Scott Slater and Tim Michelangeli. I'm Spencer Snow. Pastor Dave is not with us at the moment, sitting around the table. Um, but I believe this will be being released the week before Palm Sunday, right? That's the hope. That's yeah. the hope. That's the hope that it will be being. That's the hope that it will be being. Thank you. Uh, and it's difficult, isn't it? I mean, well, you've pastored a church and had to preach. How often did you preach? Did you do morning and evening? Uh, no, just the morning service. You did morning, but then did you do a midweek? That you yeah. led, you mm-hmm. led a midweek mm-hmm. thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you haven't, Scott, had the opportunity to preach weekly, necessarily, right, from a pulpit. Not in a whole church service, no. Yeah, but you weekly teach our youth, and you come up with those on your own. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you guys would agree, but for me, it's always stressful come Christmas and Easter time. To feel the need to, uh, I don't know what the word is, but fancy something up. Manufacture. <laughs> Almost. That sounds horrible. Yeah. But yeah. No, I mean, the topic's already given for you. Yeah. I mean, That's you cut. Co- it's easy thing. Yeah. Just pull up last year's sermon. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You don't remember it. Don't worry. <laughs> they, they want it. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> wow. That's the best sermon I've ever heard you preach. But we do try to. Think of ways to be creative, or, or or maybe maybe better is like to use the whole word of God to focus. But you also don't want to say sidestep. On Easter, you should be preaching on resurrection, right? If you do Good Friday, it should be the cross. And coming up on Palm Sunday, it should be what we celebrate for Palm Sunday, the triumphal entry. Uh, and so that kind of plays into the podcast world we're finding out as well, doesn't it? Trying to find topics and... It's it's difficult, isn't it, yeah. Leader Spencer? It's so difficult. I mean, oh God of the junk drawer. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> if the, the people feel drawer. like one of those little aliens in Toy Story, the claw. <laughs> yeah, the claw. <laughs> oh, I have been chosen. <laughs> 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 that was really good. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. If people only knew the inner workings of how this works, how often we sit down in these chairs, and Spencer, whose face is on the podcast, looks at all of us and says. So what are we going to talk about today? <laughs> like, this is what you do. Right. This is this is partially, yeah. It's difficult to come up with topics. It is. It is it is difficult and uh but, but yeah, and it takes work. You know, I think that's the thing too. People they um like you know, I I listen like I said growing up listening, I listen to talk radio and you're thinking, "Man, that would be so awesome." You know, they, these guys just talk for 3 hours a day. Mm-hmm. I mean, like that's their job. But there's a lot of prep that goes into producing that three-hour show or whatever it is. got to do a lot of reading, a lot of prep, Mm -hmm. be ready with your sound bites, which we don't really have. We need to get going with the sound bites um, and such. Um, But we want to do something geared towards Easter and Easter week, and we know that before. uh, I did a sermon series. So right now, are you just killing time? Is that what you're doing right now? I'm trying to get into what we're going to talk about. (laughs) Okay, go ahead. Because I did a sermon series. I don't remember if it was last year or the year before. Might have been the year before. We did uh, the high priestly prayer. Do you remember us doing that? Yeah, kind of. I feel like we might have done some podcast stuff on that too. 
around Easter time where we focused on a little bit uh, on uh, Jesus' last week. Yeah, that was... Yeah, we did that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. actually a... Yeah, that's, that's on there. There was like an early on one that yes, we did. Yeah, yeah, very early on. But mm-hmm. that's kind of what we're going to do today and maybe the next yeah. three or two, next two probably podcasts a little bit just because we think it's fitting with Easter. Uh, to talk about that. And so today we want to kind of focus on Palm Sunday and maybe some events leading up to the arrest or something like that. Mm -hmm. And then next week's podcast with Easter coming and Good Friday, we want to talk more about the crucifixion, what that was for, uh, and then resurrection Mm -hmm. as well. And so that's kind of where we're going. That's, I was a long way to get there, but I, but I got there. You got there. That's the main thing. That's the main thing. Um, so the triumphal entry, yeah. Why does it matter, Scott? No. <laughs> well, it's important because it's it has to do with uh, Christ being King, and it really relates. This is another hard thing too. Easter seems to be so close to Christmas, <laughs> and mm-hmm. so just preaching sermons at Christmas, we did. Christ is King, right? And talking about this baby as our our King and what that means, but with the triumphal entry, it's what we have. I mean, Jesus is being declared kind of a King. They see him coming as this one that's been promised that's going to save them, and they're shouting Hosanna to him. Their hope is in him, right? And, and so you've had his uh, earthly ministry take place um, just before the triumphal entry, I believe it's just before, not too long before, Lazarus has been raised from the dead. People have heard about that. I mean, it wasn't enough that people blind were seeing and people with demons were being, that demons were being cast out. But now Jesus did something big time. Right. Sorry, go ahead. What? No, go ahead. Was I wrong? No, no, you're not. I was just going to say two. (laughs) It's like Mars attacks. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. Um, No, but uh, that was a little weird, wasn't it? Well, we're getting late in the afternoon. Yeah, Yeah, that was a little weird. Um, Sorry, sorry, that was a little weird. Um, But earlier in Jesus' ministry, he did stuff. Like I'm looking here at John 6 where he feeds the 5,000. And it says right after it says, perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him King. Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. So earlier in Jesus's ministry, even though he himself knows I am the King, Mm -hmm. he doesn't let people force that timetable upon him. And he's very cautious about misunderstandings about what that what they're thinking a king is and he knows you don't understand what I what kind of a king yeah. I am but here at the triumphal entry Jesus publicly allows himself to be called the king and it's public this is the this is the day when all the Jews from you know all over the world are probably here and gathering in the vicinity of Jerusalem um, they're here because of the Holy Week for them, the Passover week that's happening. And so Jesus, this is a very public, um, going public moment for Jesus, where he's allowing all the people here to call him the king. And and everyone's like, because later on, one of the accounts it says, well, what is this? Who is this guy? Mm-hmm. It's Jesus the Nazareth, Jesus of Nazareth, the prophet. Yeah, up to this point, he's always said, my time has not yet come. Right. Well, now the time has come. Right. Yeah, because I always found that fascinating. I think it was the blind man. He heals a blind man. And he tells him, now go, and you have to show yourself. Right. 
don't tell them. Yeah. <laughs> Do not tell them, right? And yeah. of course the guy did. He told yeah. he, he he told them. Um but he was always saying that, like, no, mm-hmm. no, no. And then in the Luke account, which uh we said we would go off of because that's what our reading we've been reading in Luke as a church uh through. At the end of the account of triumphal entry, some of the Pharisees come to Jesus and like, tell them to stop. Right. Because he's been doing that all along. Like, ah, don't say anything, don't say anything. And he's like, I, I can't do that. If I right. do that, these stones are going to cry out then. Because it was time. Right. And he intentionally comes in. Not only are people saying this to him, I believe the the palm branch had become a symbol of Israel or the Davidic. I believe that was itself a mm-hmm. a symbol with overtones. I forget. I, this is why I should have done so. But I believe that that itself was a symbol either of Israel or of, of something like that. So they're waving these things, right? He's coming in on a donkey. They're saying he's the son of David. Yeah. And the Jewish leaders know that Israel is, is kind of like a powder keg, especially right after the, the Lazarus incident incident, they've been wanting to throw off the Roman yoke. And it's almost like this, this, this situation is a powder keg that just needs a spark to set it off with all of these Jews in Jerusalem for Passover. And we know the way the Romans work. The Romans are okay if you you knock yourself out, live your life, but we're not going to have rebellions and we're and you're going to pay your taxes. We're going to be run efficiently. And maybe there's that concern as well when Jesus rides in here. It's a very charged atmosphere um, that he's riding into. And he's and he's he's riding into it intentionally, this, right? Mm-hmm. He's he knows what he's riding into. Um and the crazy thing is he knows within a week he's going to be dead. Um, he knows what's, because he's already said before multiple times, I'm going to go to Jerusalem, I'm going to get arrested, I'm going to suffer, they're going to kill me, I'm going to rise again on the third day. And we're told the disciples did not understand what he meant uh, by yeah. all this. So anyway, so it was a charged situation in which he's riding um, um, into into Jerusalem. Um, what do you think the people in the on the ground watching Jesus come in what's in their minds i mean let's t- let's think about it for instance let's look at think about the different people here in the crowd first of all what about the supporters of Jesus we're told that his disciples um in the luke account i believe i read this just um earlier today his uh the disciples right they spread their cloaks on the ground as Jesus is, is coming in what are they thinking as Jesus is riding into Jerusalem from their perspective from the disciples specifically yeah, and, and from the 12 but also from the others who are just more broadly you know followers of of Jesus or Jesus supporters what do you think they're probably thinking it's time i mean they see him as the messiah right as the one who like you said maybe going to overthrow rome maybe establish his kingdom it's about to happen. He's allowing this to take place where the, they had to have been thinking. The disciples had to have been thinking, this is new because mm-hmm. he wouldn't let us do this before. Right. But now he, Jesus even initiated it, right? Because he said, right. go, go into town. Mm-hmm. You're going to yeah. find a colt, untie it, bring it here. Right? This is what's about to yeah. happen. I mean, these aren't just a bunch of random people. The text does say that it's the multitude uh-huh. of, his, of those that have been following mm-hmm. him. And so these are the people, and it says that they're praising him for the things that they have seen, the mighty works that they had seen. Right. So these are people, they've seen Jesus feed the 5,000. They've seen him raise people from the dead. Right. They've seen him heal the people. So, like, they know who he is, mm-hmm. right? And they're, yeah. they're treating him as such. And they've wanted to do this already before. Yeah. And like Tim said, now they are able to do it. Right. He's not stopping them. 
And so they're probably thinking, and if you're one of the 12, right, we know Peter uh, gets a sword eventually, right? He's, he's thinking, you know, well, okay, so I'll be honest. Whenever you guys were, when I came here at one time, we were going to do one of the programs. And I remember you were one, Tim, you were one of the disciples. And I remember whenever you guys would walk in to practice as a group and you guys would walk in kind of cool with a swagger, right? As a group of, they think they're cool. Yeah. They think they're they're really cool. The disciples, right? One of the 12, you know, and. You're you guys saying that because you weren't part of it. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was an exclusive group. You didn't right. get a chance. And so, you th- experience. and so you think about like Peter or some of the other disciples, and they're thinking, yeah, that's right. You know, yep, yep. We're right here. We're with the guy right here. Yep. This is yep, the kingdom of David. Yep. See, Jesus, don't worry about all that dying stuff. Remember, because Jesus keeps talking about all this death mm-hmm. stuff. And mm-hmm. the disciples, Peter's already told them one time, hey, you can't say that to these guys. You gotta, you gotta, you know, remember the first mm-hmm. time Jesus does that, Peter says, no, you can't, you're never going to die. You gotta, you know, you gotta keep morale up, Jesus. You can't keep talking like that if you're going to be the Christ. Mm-hmm. I just remember what I just told you. You're the Christ, <laughs> the son of the living God. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and so you got to think they're also coming in with some confidence. Also, maybe some fear because Thomas has already said as well, let's go to Jerusalem so we can die with him. Um, So there's probably also, though, the other side, they realize there's antagonism. So now let's shift to not his supporters, but what are the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the religious authorities, teachers, what are they thinking when they see Jesus walking or riding into town? I think that's a harder one to answer because I'm sure it varied from extreme to not so extreme. Some of them might have seen what was happening and thought of like there was men recently there was a man recently i know during that time who kind of had looked like might be the savior mm-hmm. right but then was was killed and it just kind of went away so maybe some viewed jesus as that like another one we ain't got really worried about this guy. right uh but some it seems followed him pretty closely and watched his every move and we know that even from early on they were wanting to figure out how to get him yeah and how to kill him and now they see this happening, you know, uh, I, I don't know how many people were there. And it says a, a multitude. I don't know what that means. I think that Jerusalem could swell to a huge number for Passover. Yeah, I mean, I, I had seen like million or yeah, more. I, don't, I, I think Joseph, I think some people are trying to use like Josephus' yeah. number, but uh-huh. I don't, I think he, if I remember right, some people think he might exaggerate, but the point is still standing. There's a ton of people here. Yeah. This, this city is filled to the brim. Yeah. I mean, with, with people. Yeah. It's like you said, this is the time of year when the Romans are on high alert because it's a powder keg. Right. There's a lot of them here. They don't want revolts. I think that there's probably different motivations, but I think that's some of the reason why the Pharisees in the crowd told him, rebuke your disciples. They're they're calling him a king, right? And so the Romans are going to hear this as like they have a new leader, a king to challenge the present king and lead some kind of revolt. And I think that could be part of it. Yeah, and you remember what Jesus did, right? He, What does he do? He goes into town. I think there might be some debate about this because it looks like maybe two accounts, but of cleansing the temple, right? He ends up going in town and goes into the temple and cleanses it. And so you think about the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the people who weren't necessarily a part of his group, a part of the disciples who aren't who aren't necessarily for him. When they see that too, they probably see him as somebody who wants to destroy their way of life, right? To destroy right. the norm, right? This guy's going to do. I mean, look at this. He's in the temple mm-hmm. of all places, and he's acting this way, you know, and he's saying these things, and he lets these people 
bring him in like a king. Who is this guy? He's not a he's not a religious leader, right? You know, um, but they also know about his miracles, and so there has to be this worry, like right, something's happening though, right? Well, and we do know, like the Pharisees and the Sadducees were like they were Jewish. I don't know if we want to use the word political has such overtones in our society because there was also religious. Uh, they were religious parties because there was religious differences. Probably there were also different uh, ideas about how to respond to the political situation also within that. Because like the Sadducees, right, they were people, they denied the resurrection, um, we're told. They did, they, it seems like they believed only the first five books of the Bible were the word of God. But also I think I've read elsewhere, they were kind of like the cultural conservatives of the day. And um, I believe I read elsewhere, right, that the priests would have probably been Sadducees. Um, um, and so you see in the, the account with John where they say, hey, it's better that one man dies for the nation than that the whole nation dies. And while not justifying their actions because we believe they were wrong, if you're trying to put yourself in their shoes, they're seeing this guy come in and he's going to unsettle their position in the nation and potentially also wipe out the good situation they've got underneath Rome because they have at least some independence. They I mean they're allowed to practice their religion as Jews um, and all those things, and they're probably thinking our our position as as the priests and such is is in jeopardy. But also, if you think about it from a whole corporate nation, they're concerned about that. Um, doesn't justify their actions. Obviously, we believe Jesus was the rightful Christ, but um, that's some of their perspective as they're looking at Jesus riding in. They see somebody, they've got to get rid of this because they do not want the Romans coming in with swords and, and putting down this, a, a potential revolt that they see maybe um, would be taking place. So yeah, and then the, and the Pharisees in the crowd right say, teacher, rebuke your disciples. He says, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. What's interesting here is is Luke records right after that account Jesus weeping over Jerusalem. Uh, Jesus uh, draws near the city, and um, uh, I'm going to. I think I preached a sermon one time on this on this these verses right here, and whenever the disciples came and they saw Jerusalem, they saw maybe opportunity, but they also maybe Judas maybe is thinking, yes, all right, you know, yes, we're going to be able to, this, Judas is always thinking of ways that Jesus can help Judas out. Um, the other disciples, maybe mixture of fear, excitement, all sorts of feelings. Some people are saying, yes, this is great. The religious leaders, when they see Jerusalem, they see something to be protected from Jesus. But when Jesus sees Jerusalem, he looks at it and sees a people that um, sadly have, are going to reject him, and he weeps over it. Well, he says, would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. Um, what does this mean here? Why is Jesus weeping over Jerusalem, and what does this teach us about his frame of mind, maybe, or give us some insight into his perspective as he's riding into Jerusalem now? I would assume he's weeping because of their misunderstanding of who he is and what's about to happen. There probably was, there was a, a great connection, right, to Jerusalem and the temple and the locale. 
That's why people were there to observe Passover. And Jesus is coming in as the Passover lamb to be the peace for the people. And they're just not seeing it that way. There's, they're not understanding it that way. And I think you said you preached a sermon on this particular passage, so maybe you can correct me, but it seems like he's even, Jesus kind of prophesies here of what's going to happen oh, yeah. to Jerusalem in like 70 years, mm-hmm. right? Or maybe less than less that. Less than that. 40 years. 80, 70 is when yeah. it happens. Yeah. 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 And, and, and it's, it's almost like you come to this town for peace. I'm coming into this town to give you peace. Right. But what you actually are seeking your peace in, if you only knew, it's going to be completely destroyed in just a few decades. And But what I'm going to offer is everlasting. And you have to sense that that's what's going on there, uh, at least me, from yeah. what little education I have in it. Uh, but at the same time, you have to know, I mean, Jesus knew this. Yeah. So it's not catching him off guard. It's not a weeping of catching him off guard like, my last three years have been for naught. Mm-hmm. nobody caught on mm-hmm. i don't think that's what's happening either it's just a an understanding of what's going to happen um of how many probably of those in jerusalem in that day are not going to choose christ right they're going to continue on he shows nothing here but love yeah. and weeping over the fact that he's not like he's He's not like so much of us. We're, we're personally offended if people reject us and we take it personal mm-hmm. and then we get angry. Um, now, Jesus did show righteous anger at appropriate times and in appropriate ways without sin. But here, his rejection leads him to weep and still have compassion because he knows that in rejecting him, they've rejected peace with God and they've chosen a pathway that's going to lead to their destruction. And he is sad about that. That's a beautiful image to show us the heart of Jesus. Even as he's walking into this, this situation that he knows is going to lead to his death very soon. Yeah. I was thinking of the image of a, of a parent watching their child go down a, a destructive path that has maybe betrayed them, done something wrong to them as their parent. But you know, the parent, I mean, Sure, we might get angry from time to time, but primarily I would say what we would feel is a, a deep sense of sadness and brokenness over knowing that your child is running towards destruction, you know, in, in that, you know, they've yeah. done you wrong, but you care more about the fact that they're running to their own destruction than, yes. the, than that they've done something wrong. Yes. That's just the image I was. You're thinking. you're exactly, that's a great image, I think, because that's, that's who Jesus, that's what Jesus is doing here. He's. He's riding into Jerusalem, and he sees a city to have compassion on, and that's why he's come to die. That's why he's come to die. And there's a there's a beautiful um, John Bunyan. Those Puritans had great titles for books, and he's got one book called "The Jerusalem Sinner Saved." And um, he open he talks about, and this is really great stuff about how Jesus. Um, Right after his resurrection, right, you would think the last people on earth that he would want to go get the gospel to first would be these people that just rejected him. Mm-hmm. But the, he says, no, nope, I want you to start beginning at Jerusalem. 
You tell the people that just spit upon me, the people that just hated me the most, the people that said crucify him, the people that praised me when I wrote in and then, you know, said crucify him and rejected me and chose Barabbas instead of me. I want you to go preach my forgiveness to them the very first. Mm-hmm. I mean, that is powerful stuff um, to think that that's that's the heart of Christ to sinners is he would... He, he wanted that. And I think you see that heart already starting here in, in Luke 19. He's already shown it throughout his whole ministry, obviously. Yeah. But it's, start, it's just continuing to stretch and grow, I feel like, in the story of the gospel. Yeah. You think about the rest of the week of Jesus. You know, he so the triumphal entry, cleansing of the temple, which, again, some say— I remember studying this. I feel like some say it happened right when he went in. Well, John 2. I, I know some say— yeah. It was the next day. Some have said it was two accounts. They did it twice. Yeah, because John 2, at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, there's a cleansing. Yeah. And then some people are like, is that the same one as right. later on, or was this twice? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, but then from there, it seems like he has a busy day uh, teaching. We see this in Luke, right, in Luke 20 uh, through 21. Uh, there's a lot of teaching. This is where uh, one of the one of the famous things pay taxes to Caesar line, yeah, right? Right. That they're trying to get him. Um, but Jesus isn't in hiding. He's teaching openly to people. He's talking about his return. He's talking about judgment. Uh, so there's a lot of teaching and stuff happening. A lot of important events that are taking place. And it's during this time, uh, right? Whether it's Wednesday, Tuesday, where Judas comes on the scene because we see this here in Luke 22, the plot to kill Jesus happens. And it says, Now the Feast of Unleavened Bread drew near, which is called the Passover, and the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to put him to death, for they feared the people. It says, Then Satan entered into Judas, called Iscariot, who was of the number of the twelve. He went away and conferred with the chief priests and officers how he might betray him to them. And they were glad and agreed to give him money. So he consented and sought an opportunity to betray him to them in the absence of a crowd. And so we see the triumphal entry, right? We see the things that Jesus is doing during this week, and it's all leading to something. And we've been talking about, we've been talking about at our church, uh, Ephesians, and this battle that's taking place in the spiritual realm, and we see it here in this passage. Mm-hmm. It's interesting that Luke says Satan entered Judas. He's the problem. Satan's the problem here, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, we look at Judas, and he has blame, and we see the Bible give him yes. blame. For yes. sure. He's held accountable for his actions. Uh, but we see Satan. Right. Like, I didn't get you in the desert. Right. I tried to tempt you. It yeah. didn't work. But now's the time. Right. Here's, gonna, my, here's my spot. He's going to try to he's gonna try to bruise the heel mm-hmm. of the seed of the woman. Yep. But little does he know that in trying to, to bite him. Well, uh, he probably, yeah. I mean, don't you think Satan thinks, I'm going to crush. I'm actually going to go, I'm going to win. I'm right. going to win this. Right, right. And so he takes his opportunity. We we were taught. We've been talking about how smart Satan is, right? Uh, and he gets one of Jesus's closest allies, in Judas, uh, who is angry at this point because of how some money was used or how some ointment was used, right? It right. Uh, it was spread on Jesus. Could have been sold for a lot of money. Right. And it's even said then, just because Judas wanted the money, like yeah, <laughs> he was a thief. We're told. Yeah, it's yeah. told us that in scripture. Yeah. And what is so fascinating about Jesus, there's a lot, 
But whenever we talk about this last week and we talk about Easter, it is so hard for me not to think about the hypostatic union of divinity and man, knowing the struggle of man to go through this, of him, right? But on the same time, knowing he knows where Judas is at. He knows what's happening. He's, it's been orchestrated to happen this way. But yet he keeps, he keeps showing love and compassion to others. Right. <laughs> you know, and it, it's just, it shows me how, how far right. I am fallen. You know, because sure. I couldn't have. Right. I mean, I've been like, hey, Judas, where, where, where are you going? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think it shows, yeah, Jesus shows an amazing composure throughout this whole thing. His composure is one of the most amazing things about him and his humanity. He is, he never um, gets thrown off, right? He, he is compassionate. He uh, is uh, sad whenever people uh, like Judas um, uh, betrays him, but he always is continuing on with, with the mission that God the Father has, has uh, given, given to him. And, um, yeah, I, I don't know. Yeah. It's hard for us to grasp, right? Because we can definitely see it, I think, from humanity. Hang side. on, hang on. By the way, real quick. You said the phrase that we should probably define. Okay. Hypostatic union. I kind of did after I said yeah, it. Yeah, but I let's said define. Was... That's, a, that's, a, that's a theological term. It's a okay. good term to know. All right. But define it for us. It's, I mean, it's the working of the divine nature of Christ and the human nature of Christ together in one, in, in Jesus. In, in one what? In one, what do you mean in one what? In Jesus. We find out if he's a heretic now or not. Yeah, what do you mean? Right. In one what? <laughs> They're together in one what? Person? Person. Oh, yeah. ding, 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 ding. Okay, I was just whoa, making whoa, whoa. sure they were. What was the, I going to say, a Muppet? No, I was saying they're not one nature. There's still two oh. natures, right? <laughs> they don't morph into one. Well, no, because... what you were looking for. Because that is, that is something that some people have said, that, you know, the... Uh, the divinity and the humanity merge and uh, into a, th- oh, a and new mean, thing, right? And, and that was one of the early church, you know, dealt with some of this stuff, right? No. So what would be the heretical part? Well, if you combined it and said he's got one nature. Meaning? The humanity and the divinity. So would that be like when I hear people say sometimes he probably just got rid of a bunch of his divinity. Well, that so would he be. could be man. Yeah, that would be, a, would that be a, would that called kenosis or something where they, he, yeah, yeah he emptied. Some people will say, well, he got rid of his divinity and took to himself. No, he, he had a, he was a, a person with a divine nature, but he just added to that a human nature. So he's one person, uh, two nature. So I was just, just yeah. teasing you, but yeah, yeah. No, which I mean. You talk about difficult things to explain. Yeah. And that's what I'm trying to right. get at, is how hard it is to think. Right. Because in our humanity, looking at how difficult this week would have been as a man, uh, how how <laughs> to not be prideful, to not be selfish, would be so hard. But then Christ and his divinity also knowing the whole purpose behind what he's doing. Yeah, and you know, it's really cool you bring that up, because... In the Old Testament, God tabernacled with his people, Israel. And he was there with them. And I heard just in a podcast recently, it was kind of helpful, but, you know, the pagan gods, if you were to say to a pagan, a Baal worshiper, well, where's your God? Well, that's the idol, but he's out there. Well, where's your Israelite God? Well, he's right there in the tent, and he doesn't leave us alone. He refu- He's with us, 
and he governs us. He's the you know pillar of fire, pillar of smoke. I mean, sometimes his glory shows up, right, and he consumes up the enemies in the camp. If you're in Old Testament, you know, in the in the wilderness, there, he's a God who dwells with them, and Israel, um, and God reminds them over and over and over again, "You can't get away from me." And here is the God of Israel, and he's right here tabernacled in their midst. And Judas here is still going to try to betray mm-hmm. the God of Israel. The one that was in the tent is now in human flesh right here. Yeah. Um, and, and he's, and it shows actually his great love. He loves you so much. You're not going to be able to get away from him. Yeah. He is going to die for you and be raised for you and bring you to his heavenly kingdom with you. Um, and that's the powerful thing, I think, as you read these gospel accounts, it's good to be reminded that this is the God of the Old Testament in human form, walking around with men and women and uh, loving them and then showing them the greatest act of of divine salvation, puts everything else in, uh, makes everything else pale in comparison uh, to what he does for us on the cross and in his resurrection. Yeah, and we see the love of Christ as he continues on in that week, even up to the cross. I know when we see the cross, we think, look at this great love. But you'd been mentioning on Sunday nights as you've been preaching a series on like the church and how it functions and is united. But I think you've mentioned a couple times uh, in different services how Jesus is getting ready to go and wash their feet. Yeah. You know, these men who are going to betray him, one who who has, Mm -hmm. looking for the opportunity, the perfect opportunity to give him over. And Jesus would would bend over and wash their feet and teach them how you need to be servant. Right. Can you Look imagine? Can you imagine how awkward that must have been in the room? Yeah. They're all sitting in there just. Yeah, I mean, because today know? we go we go back and we look at it as like this special occasion. But again, what did right. the disciples know? Right. They're thinking they're just going to have Passover and probably go back off right. out, out into Bethany or something right. like that or whatever. Uh, but Jesus didn't. And so right. we see it as like this solemn thing. But yeah, it had to be an awkward. Well, and none of them had thought of uh, being a servant. Yeah, none of them. None of them had, were willing to get down and wash their brother, their fellow disciples' feet. None mm-hmm. of them were even willing to wash Jesus' feet, it seems like. Right. That's and Judas is sitting. I mean, can you imagine what is going through Judas's mind as Jesus is there? In the clothes of a servant, even see, washing I, his feet. See, I would have to think this is just I don't know speculation. Tim, this speculation. Is all, this is all spe- yeah, a lot of this is. Yeah. I think Judas was ticked. I think he was angry because Jesus wasn't being who he thought he was going to be. Yeah, and this just made it even more so. Look at this pathetic. This is pathetic. He's washing right. our feet, right? And what is he doing? He needs to be getting. He needs to get up. He need you know. Hmm. I mean, I, I guess that's what I would think would be his. His feeling, not remorse, not like, oh man, I shouldn't have sold this guy out. Not yet. I don't think he's mm. thinking that yet. Mm. Um, I think he's still wanting to go through with it, and he's just frustrated. And maybe to him, this is cementing. I'm doing the right thing. Right. I'm doing the right thing here. Look at Can, this guy. But you know, also, and this reminds me of uh, moving alongside with that, uh, the the washing of the feet. But then also, um, it reminds me of a sermon that we saw at Basics with Rico Tice with the Aiken. Mm-hmm. Um, because uh, yeah, remember th- there was a time he says whenever remember when uh, he's like okay now we're gonna get everybody together because Aiken stole the stuff from Jericho right mm-hmm. and he says okay someone's done this so he gets them together all right the tribe of Judah is taken first and they're like it goes through a series of where there's this gradual limiting and Aiken's you can imagine as Aiken sitting there he's like 
knowing the arrows starting <laughs> to point right at him. Judas, Jesus says stuff like this, right? He says, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. And I just think like those phrases over and over. And when Jesus says, um, what you got to do, do quickly, just little things yeah. like that. You got to think Judas's conscience is starting to think he knows something. No, no, he doesn't know. No, he can't. Why did he say that though? Yeah, you'd think. Why does he, and like he hands the, you know I mean? Just consistently those things like, and also I think in doing that, maybe I don't want to be dogmatic. Is he also in a sense still offering Judas the opportunity to repent? Yeah, I'd heard that before. You know, I mean, obviously in sovereignty of God, that doesn't happen, but like that's, Mm -hmm. but, but is there almost like, yeah, you know, I mean, it's similar to the garden scene. I mean, yeah, I think I think the temptation you have Satan with Eve and Adam is similar, probably to what's going on with Judas. You know this this lie that Satan is feeding to Judas. Yeah, of who Jesus is, he's yeah. trying to limit you, right? Bob, whatever it is, right. same with Eve, and then Adam and Eve sin, and what does God do? Where are you? Right. He's given them an opportunity, mm-hmm. kind of, to confess, and it's not there, and it's almost similar. Yeah. Like you're saying, it's right? Like, not all of you are clean. The one who dips his bread. Yeah. Right. And yeah. Like, who is it? And it's like, well, the one who dipped his well, bread. And the, and the thing is, too, is I did a study on that. There's a good chance that on the one side of Jesus is the apostle John. On the other side of Jesus is Judas. <laughs> yeah. That's really? why he's able to dip the bread and okay. give it right to Judas because if they would have laid. Because mm-hmm. remember, John would have laid Lay down on him, Jesus. Yeah. There's a chance that Jesus is right next to Judas. <laughs> And that's why he's able to hand the thing. So, I mean, on the one hand, you got his best friend. Right. On the other hand, potentially, you've got the, the betrayer. Mur- yeah. So, anyway, um, yeah, a lot of that speculation, obviously. Sure, yeah. But just still, trying to just think through it. Yeah. thinking about what's going on in the narratives that are given to us mm-hmm. um, in the text yeah. of Scripture. So And so, I mean, it's in the midst of that stuff, right? And they end up having Passover together, and Judas leaves. And like you said... Go do what you have to do. Right, and, right. And Judas does. And that kind of leads us up to where we want to stop. We want to stop maybe at the arrest and stuff. But Right. But I think, and, and lastly, too, real quick before we wrap up there, but to me, some of the best chapters in the whole Bible are John 13 through, well, to the end, but especially like through 16 and 17. Oh, really? I don't differentiate any of the chapters of, course, of the Bible. I think, they're all, I, I think they, they're all very important. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> Um, but like, those are some of the most, like Jesus is kind of like, right. Cause it's like, almost like Judas is gone now. Now I can pour my, I mean, these are the last things I want you 11 to know right before all this, right before everything goes crazy. Yeah. This is what I want you to know. What does he teach them? Their union with him where I am, you will be also, he teaches them about the father's love. Cause remember Philip says, show us the father and it's enough for us. Mm-hmm. Have I been with you so long, Philip? You don't know that I'm in the Father and the Father's in me. And then he teaches them about the Holy Spirit, and he teaches them, um, uh, you know, the union, the the true vine. I am the vine. You're the branches. Um, I don't know. I just and and then fear not. I've overcome the world. And then he goes and prays for him right after that to seal it. Um, I just. I think throughout you just see the beating heart of Christ consistently, um, and and see if I was I'm gonna say this is gonna say, this is this is 
heresy, but if I was Jesus, right, I would be thinking only about myself because I'm a sinner. And I'd just be obsessed with me and saying, guys, I want to hear some really nice things about me before I go. What, what's your favorite memories of being together or whatever? Because, you know, it's going to be, it's going to really stink the next little bit here. So you're welcome. But yeah. he doesn't do that. He is still patient with them. Have I been so long with you, Philip? You know, I mean, just the love, the tenderness of these men together um, right before he goes and prays for them and then goes and dies for them. Um, that that love is is something else, something else. Okay, well, I hope that's been beneficial. Um, talking about those things never gets old. So um, we hope to, uh, to see you at church. Um, we hope uh, that you'll go closer to Christ as you think about uh, his cross, his resurrection, and his love for us. Uh, during this season. Thanks so much for listening. Take care. God bless.